I, I think the poet or the filmmaker or the musician, the poet must not avert his eyes. You must not avert your eyes. This is what is coming at us. I'm quite pretentious. Oh, you are. I would say so. Oh, and look, it's an episode with a six at the end of it. You dread what that means. We're going to talk about something very nebulous and subjective that probably no one else is going to be able to relate to. Yeah, this is one of our at you episodes. (laughs) This is one of the ones that you have to get through. It's your greens, this one. Uh, In this particular episode, we're going to discuss movies that have the complicated legacy of being overrated. Uh, It's a paradoxical legacy because it concedes that whilst the movie has achieved some form of critical or popular success, it is considered to be undeserving of said success. We're going to dive into why why we think that is, our own thoughts on some of history's more apparently debatable classics. Bullshit. And we're going to look pretty good whilst doing it. Bullshit. Okay, we are going to start with the master of making amazing movies that no one actually likes, Christopher Nolan. Who? Well, let me tell you exactly who Christopher Nolan is. Uh, Nolan's nine films have an average rating of 8 out of 10 on IMDb, 77% on Metacritic, and 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, Paul, you easily impressed, pretentious, stupid. Uh, bonjour. Why does everyone hate Christopher Nolan? Why don't you personally hate him? I, I gave him 10 corn cobs to paint my fences. Back in 76. <laughs> yeah, and he never did. And he took the corn. Um, well, <laughs> And the fence. I just really hate how he tries all these big ideas every single time. And he, ach- and he achieves it competently and cohesively. <laughs> what a wanker. I hate it. Showing up all those other likes. Who do you think he is? Yeah, I really... Uh, he's not... The, the, thing, the thing is, right, he's, he's, he's pretentious. He thinks he's better than us. <laughs> he is better than me, which he's, pisses me off. That's yeah. why I don't like him. Well, there's, there, there is that... But his movies aren't even that clever. They're not even that pretentious. What? He thinks he just, he just he just thinks he's pretentious. I tried watching it with a silver dinner fork. And nothing. <laughs> nothing out of it. People, every, everyone said they really, really liked the Prestige, and I was expecting a seismic shift to happen in my own face, and nothing did. <laughs> I was expected to grow a second and third nose. Expert. As it happens, my existing one got smaller. <laughs> Explain that, Rubbish. boffins. Um, Explain that, David Bowie. There, there is obviously before we start. There, yeah, there is a given. Every film that we discuss, there are people who just legitimately don't like this film for legitimate reasons. Oh yeah, and absolutely, and that's fine. If you're sitting there going, "I didn't, I didn't like Memento because I just didn't engage with the characters, or so so on and so forth," then I, yeah. you know, really, it's something to engage with. But uh, yeah, what, what if, we're if, looking if, at here with almost all of our films are complaints that kind of refuse to even wrestle with the film and its qualities. Uh, sort of easy ways of putting them down. Yes. Things that refuse to engage. Yeah. And it has to be said that there is a, a backlash when it comes to Nolan. There are people who feel uh, are able to sort of dismiss his entire filmography with sort of big sweeps. 
Um, when did you become aware of this backlash? Um, for me, it was the Dark Knight Rises. Okay. I was really not aware of a Nolan backlash until then. I was just pretty sure that he was God. And um, every, everybody <laughs> and felt... everyone agreed. Everybody felt that, yeah. For me, I think it was the Dark Knight. Because... Mm. I remember I it came out on the Friday and I was I had tickets to go see it with my father on like the Monday. Yeah. And Sunday night I decided to check IMDb just idly to have a look. And it was number one on IMDb's top two hundred and fifty. Yeah. I don't know if people remember that, but uh, uh, in its opening weekend enough people gave it ten out of ten that it got to number one. And that yes. was back in the days that was back in the dark days of the IMDb comic uh, comments board, which has now been closed. And I miss it, to be honest. <laughs> um, but consequently, of course, because it received that much love and that much praise, there was a big old list. Like, every, if you remember, the main page used to display the top five most talked about yeah. uh, subjects. And it was just a big bunch of hate. <laughs> I do remember <laughs> the, the IMDb backlash. It, like, as, yeah. as, it, it's, it's like, a, like the visceral, memory, visceral memories of youth. It's, it's like solely the IMDb <laughs> backlash. I don't remember like what anyone said about it. I just remember like the voting campaign that happened after after yeah. that that they had to get, you know, the Shawshank Redemption back to the top spot. Oh god. I mean, which which would be worth talking about in its own, in its own right, but um and that's for another <laughs> podcast. We'll do that in a year's time. Leave us alone. But, the, but then people were suddenly, you know, downvoting the Dark Knight just to get it just to get it out of yeah. the top spot. That was my first real experience of the human condition, I think. <laughs> I feel like IMDb was a good prison for trolls. <laughs> like it's where they it's like escape from New York. Like we walled around IMDb and just left it to the criminals. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now that those walls have been brought down and the city has been evacuated, um they're free to spread everywhere else now. I think the yeah. closing of the IMDb message boards was when I first noticed the really bad shit going on. <laughs> but yeah, Dark Knight Rises was the first one I remember feeling defensive about. Mm. Because, I mean, initially it was ext- it was insane because critics who gave it a bad review on Rotten Tomatoes started receiving death threats. That was this one. That was Dark Knight Rises. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. And way too far the other way. And then suddenly there's this backlash. There's this articles, the 10 things that are most rubbish about The Dark Knight Rises. Why you're an <laughs> idiot if you like The Dark Knight Rises. Right. That, that was when I first became really aware of it. And of course, as we've alluded to a few times before, the big complaint a lot of people had was this idea that plot holes ruin it. Yes. And specifically, how did Bruce Wayne get back into Gotham City after escaping from the Lazarus Pit? Spoiler alert. Yes. And that was something that I think maybe on second watching, I went yeah. very quietly to myself, well, in my head, so it's the quietest I can be. How did he get back from going? And then, and then maybe a minute later, yeah. I was fine with it because I mean, we, like we've we've mentioned this before. Um, it's not how he got back; it's the, the fact that he did get back to Gotham. But yeah, which, that he chose to. Yeah, which make yeah, which makes him Batman and everything that entails. Um, and yeah. I, and I've actually, this was something that I I didn't really read about in articles or mm. anything, but I was I was there on the ground, man. I was there with the grassroots. <laughs> and um, I remember being in, in conversation with a couple of people about it, and um, I was in the minority around the table for um, yeah for the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Rises, yeah. And and one of the things was, and how did he how did he get back to Gotham? <laughs> and, and 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 telling you know telling somebody that, and then explaining that the response was still ah, it's still shit. 
you know, and it, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and, it and it's like, yeah. okay, well, let's, you know, tell me the, the other I ways think... in which it is. Ah, it's just crap, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and, and where's that coming from, this need? Because when it is a semantic argument like that, it mm. really does feel like they're trying to justify something they can't put into words. Yeah. Now, I have an alternate take here from a guy called Ghost Runner at Comic Vine, and it, it goes like this. I never liked the Nolan movies, but I guess I wanted them to be good so badly that I convinced myself that they were awesome. Like, clockwork oranged myself into it. Yeah, I'm the victim here. (laughs) Then I saw Rises, and that made me take a step back and really look at the movies. He watched them this time. Oh, okay. Now I can't stand them. They're not bad movies that I can't stand, but they're a god-awful adaptation of Batman and his world. Yes, they have a great effect in having comic book movies taken seriously. Why so serious? But really, they're not comic book movies. They're movies with characters who share the same names as comic book characters. So it's the Street Fighter complaint. Okay, I I see. No, I don't don't see. Sorry. No, nor do I. I was was convincing myself that I saw. And and then I thought about it and I really had to take a step back. Like, his problem is they weren't comic booky enough. Yeah. And, like, the idea that, oh, this isn't what I expected to be, therefore it's god-awful. That's his word. I mean, what do you even what do you even say to that? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he hasn't gotten to the heart of why he disliked it. Yeah. I feel like... I do, and I don't know what that heart is, and I don't want to, you know, ins- insult him by saying, oh, you know, whatever you're feeling isn't real, it's based on whatever else. But I'm very curious as to what it is that he finds so god awful. I'd love to again. Yeah. This is why engagement would be so important. I'd love to know like the, <laughs> like the real like the gut the gut feelings yeah. and the real reasons for not <laughs> for not liking it. Because you know, I went well, through I went through a wave of things when people were when the, the, the majority were saying that the Dark Knight Rises was terrible and Nolan was overrated. And I had a moment yeah. of weak, weakness myself where I was like, oh, you know, oh maybe it's maybe maybe everyone else is right and maybe I've got this, you know. Maybe I'm being silly for like holding on to all, all of these films, but all it takes is rewatching it to then realise that yeah. no, actually, I'm, I'm pretty. I feel pretty justified in my position here. Well, I have um, I have a, a, a professional opinion, okay. uh, although I don't quite know what qualifies him as such. Uh, Charlie Brooker said of The Dark Knight Rises, The Dark Knight Rises is a superhero film for people who like to think they're watching The Seventh Seal when they're actually watching a children's film about a children's character who dresses up as a bat and hits people in the face. Um, and he's right, Paul. Uh, superhero oh. movies are for kids. Uh, they started that way and they should never ever be more than that. Uh, science fiction too, actually. Um, science fiction was originally about flying saucers and little spacemen. You know, you shouldn't use science fiction to hold, oh, I guess like a, a dark mirror up to society. You know, that what kind of twat would do that? I mean, science fiction is not the seventh seal. Also, medieval fantasy films about knights encountering mythological figures like death. They shouldn't be taken so seriously or used to ask questions about death or man's quest for meaning or faith. I mean, it's not like medieval fantasy movies about knights encountering mythological figures are the seventh seal. I'm glad Brooker is taking over film 2018, though. That's that's going to be good, isn't it? Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. That's yeah. <laughs> he didn't like Skyfall either. Stop! <laughs> oh, Paul's gone off to let's punch an old lady. Yeah, he's got her there. Oh, and he's drunk on her blood. He snorted it up into his face. 
And now he is truly a berserker. He's actually not coming back. Paul? (laughs) Go on. It's very satisfying to be there watching a mob, you know, scrabble for the last loaf of bread in in, in, in a shop. When uh, mm. when you're there with your nuclear bunker, going, I know, I know, and these yeah. people didn't know. <laughs> I mean that that plays into Will Self um, said of Inception, it's a stupid person's idea of what an intelligent film is like. Oh, good. So it, there is that aspect of it of if you want to be the person who's sort of seeing through the Emperor's clothes and yeah. saying, "Hang on a minute, everyone who thinks that this is clever is wrong because I'm more clever than they are." Yes. And I can see it for what it is. And yes. it's, yeah, it's it just, and the thing about Brooker's, uh, the thing about Brooker's um, uh, criticism of The Dark Knight Rises is, it actually, like, doesn't necessitate him having seen the film at all. Yes. If he can just come to the stance of, oh, Batman's for kids, and this clearly isn't for kids, fuck it then. Fuck yeah. anyone who tries to do anything different with it, or tries to elevate it. That line in itself would probably sell me on the new, on the Nolan Batmans instantly. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, when we look at the Nolan Batmans, when we look at our top tens, that was one of the reasons that the Dark Knight is in is in so many people's yeah. top tens. It's why it was in our top tens because it brought yeah. comic book movies. I know X Men, you know, and the original, mm. the first Spider Man kind of made gains there, but Batman Begins and the Dark Knight really brought it into the mainstream, made it, <sighs> yeah, made made them into. I don't want to use the word, but legitimate movies you sure. know it just feels very reductive yeah re- reductive Dismissive. and um pedantic as well i think and it's it's just mm. when when we're a podcast that sort of strives for positivity about a lot a lot of these things yeah. um in you know in the very worst things that we we have to face it then yeah, it absolutely. seems kind of it seems kind of rich to then turn around and, and look at fantastic films and be like oh but it's it's for kids or oh but oh, did you yeah. you know so on and so on and so forth i can't even think of something silly to say it's just not entering my mind (laughs) yeah absolutely uh let's address some more legitimate well i say legitimate some more grounded (laughs) some complaints that actually would have involved seeing the films oh so first of all is the idea that nolan often introduces these unusual time things yeah like in memento the whole idea of the film flowing uh, running backwards whilst also forwards uh, the Prestige is about a guy reading a diary, about a guy reading a diary within reading a diary. Yeah. Um, and then you've got things like Inception, which is these layers of dreams, and uh, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people look at these and say, you're just rearranging the film. That doesn't make it smarter, it just makes it more fiddly. Mm. What, do you, what do you say to that complaint? No, I would... <laughs> um, to grow up for a second, I think. <laughs> Just for a second, <laughs> we'll go. We'll go back to making silly noises and defeating the point of our <laughs> this whole episode. Batman was made for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're adults now. There's. <laughs> Well, there's a point to the yeah. the time frames in, in Nolan movies, isn't it? It's not just about making yeah. the movie unnecessarily complicated. The, the the time frame adds another layer to the narrative. It's it's a way of telling the story. There is a point to it. You know there is. I mean, look at Dunkirk. Mm. Look at Dunkirk. For anyone who doesn't know, and I actually I sat down and watched this with my mother recently, and I said there is a bit of a timeline thing that he does. Yeah. And Mum said, "Oh no, I hate things like this." <laughs> and then I said, "Well, you know, let's just see how we go." And I started it, and by the time the third subtitle came on, I turned to her and said, "So, do you get it?" And she was like, "Yeah, I think so. It's just for the land army. You're seeing a week of their time for the boats." 
you're seeing a day of their time and in the air you're seeing an hour of their time yes like uh yeah that's that's it you know i felt like a real shit for having made out it was more complicated than that and also for having to ask if she understood it because i'm a condescending little prick in my spare time (laughs) (laughs) as opposed to here everyone listen to what i have to say anyway the point is i think i'm jesus if you (laughs) i might be no one's disproved it yet (laughs) the thing is if he hadn't done that the options facing him would be tell this story of the land army but only over the course of one day because otherwise the planes would run out of fuel and wouldn't be able to continue flying so you can only tell one day's worth of the land story well you're missing out on a lot of narrative there and condensing a lot of shit Mm. well all right how about we tell the week of the land army but we have the raf as well and they keep going back to refuel or land so that they can be in the air for multiple days so that we can keep them throughout the film well, then you've got a whole lot of other questions. Where are they going when they land? Where are they, do they have home mm. lives? Are they staying on base? Do we need to... It's going to be a very long film. Yeah. Well, maybe we just put it as we want it then, with the boats one day, the aircraft one hour. Well, in that case, all of Tom Hardy's stuff's going to be in the last third of the film. Like, mm. it, it solves so many problems yeah. to do it the way he did it, of just showing the time working differently and it works so smoothly that it's just not an issue so it's not just being clever it's not just doing something original it's it's it streamlines the movie you know it justifies the Hans Zimmer <laughs> soundtrack of the ticking clock and you know yeah. it's it's to the film's strength it, it could be seen as you know artifice it could be seen as being wanky but artifice <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> <laughs> yes is there a, is there a Chris Nolan film that I didn't have a massive emotional investment in another complaint that's lobbied against him is that he's a very cold filmmaker which again i would greatly refute oh, God, but yeah. in terms of him being intelligent like there's no, every single one of his films there is always a point where i find myself thinking oh am i philosophically on board here mm. like with dunkirk it was when they were discussing whether or not to throw the french guy out of the boat yeah. and obviously i was thinking oh god what does this mean about brexit <laughs> yeah um with Interstellar, there's a bit where it's like, obviously, the public would never approve of government spending of this type when there's a famine. That's why we had to keep it secret. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, do I agree with that? Like, mm. every single one of his films, there's a moment where I'm like, ooh, hang on a minute. Yeah. And that's provocative. Yeah. You know, and that's that's getting you to think about these things and to think, well, hang on a minute, I'm not sure about this. And it, it makes you uneasy and uncomfortable. And that's part of what an intelligent film does yeah when i think of nolan movies i can think mm. of close-ups on faces from pretty much every movie where i've had that incredibly strong visceral emotional reaction <laughs> i can think of close-ups on christian bale or aaron eckhart or, or gary oldman <laughs> or matthew mcconaughey jessica chastain yeah. you know i i can think of times when my heart has been in my in my mouth and i mean mm. you can't yeah, sure. you, you can't talk about the ending of, of inception and and say that <laughs> and 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 the many many layers there are to to that ending, and and say that Nolan yeah. is a cold director because a cult like no, the, the the warmth is is so intrinsically a part of the intelligence. It is, and and it, they always feel so personal yeah. to me as well. Interstellar is about Christopher Nolan as a father. Yeah. Inception is about Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. really. Um, the Dark Knight trilogy is about Christopher Nolan as a, a human. Well, as Batman, <laughs> as Batman, but also no, as no, a human being 
who was alive during the war on terror you know i think we've <laughs> yeah. all we've all dealt with the same anxieties that he deals with in that yeah, for sure that reminds me of an, of an article i read about inception around the time inception came mm. out and the, the journalist who was writing it i think wasn't he quite liked inception but said nolan right. as a man who wrote um characters as symbols or, right. or, you know, characters with very clear roles, but were maybe lacking in personality. And he used Inception, or she, I forget, mm. used Inception as an yeah. example of this. So, I mean, they're, they're actually assigned roles in the film, you know, as the the, the, create, the creator or, you know, the yeah. the thief and, and, and so on and so forth. And they they all have names like Ariadne and, you know, with... Yeah. with uh, myth- mythological, mythological connotations. connotations yeah and yeah. um and i remember reading it and oh, however old i was at the time I, I i went oh that's that's really interesting yeah I, th- I guess that's i guess that's true and then all but then all of the all of the grief of that that film yeah um of of, of marlon yeah. marlon cobb and everything that everything that cobb is 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 working for in that film is just so yeah. is is just rooted in the most um like base of human instincts you have certain you know you have these powerful these intense emotional reactions to 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 the movies because it it fascinates me and it makes me feel so deeply for it that i want to go away and then try to understand it more and that's not that's not an academic thing that's you want to get to know the person you love right so yeah why wouldn't i do the same for nolan movies well precisely i think um I have a quote here that kind of finishes this, finishes this discussion off. Okay. For me, the Chris Nolan Bat film, Batman films are art films. Very successful, well-told stories, but also with beautiful visual art. Quote Steven Spielberg. Hmm. So, speaking of art, uh, you know what word springs to mind when I think of art? Tracy Emin. Yeah. Which is just another way of saying pretentious. So cool! What's the most pretentious film you've ever seen? <laughs> let's let's nail some pretentious films. Oh Paul. god! Okay, okay. Let's here's, get them. Here's 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 a real a real pretentious film. Um, Anchorman. <laughs> so so bloody <laughs> oh pretentious. Oh wait, no, I'm. I don't think I know what. Okay, let me let me let me try again. Let me try again. Um, okay. Okay. Oh. Um. Um. Ooh, pretentious. Pretentious. Yeah. You know the pretentious films that oh. they like in that that they like in that you know university. Snatch, Snatch is yeah. pretty bloody pretentious. Oh, now you know what? No. I, I don't. I don't think I know what pretentious actually means. Well, let me show you, Paul. Okay. What pretentious really means? Um, that's me. I'm doing a fly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the most pretentious film. I- <laughs> The most pretentious film I've ever seen is any of the David Lynch film I've seen. Uh, David Lynch has made ten feature films, a bunch of shorts, some of which involve rabbits, and a fairly popular TV show. Uh, There are some common themes, often a lack of conventional narrative, surreal elements, upsetting production design, a slow pace, weird characters, Harry Dean Stanton, and just generally being as uncommercial as inhumanly possible. I think those are the ideas that get associated with pretentiousness i think it comes down to a a feeling that the director didn't make the film to be liked by a lot of people and that it was also sort of cruelly that people suggest it was made so people wouldn't like it at all but they would pretend to Mm. in order to look smart 
This is something I hear about classical music sometimes, the idea that no one actually likes it. It's just people pretend to so that they can look cleverer than you. No, no one actually likes one of the, one of the most physically <laughs> awesome experiences of their entire life. Nobody it's... actually likes the f- thousand years of music that was, that was made before someone invented the electric guitar. No one. Well, da- Daphne and Chloe, <laughs> fuck off. It's, it's very... Mm. I, genuine, I genuinely don't know the meaning of pretentious as it's used in relation yeah. to, to art. I have a real issue with it, mm. and I have had for a long time, ever since Muse's Origin of Symmetry came out. The, <laughs> the criticism that I got from my friends, who I liked, was that this out this was a very pretentious album, and I was pretentious for liking it. Okay. I mean, Origin of Symmetry is one of the greatest albums of all time. Sure, I really like it. I'd never heard an album like that before. It obviously had its roots in things like Jeff Buckley and Radiohead and um, Queen and, and, mm. and so on, but it really made it their own. Um, it was an it was a complete, accomplished piece of art. Mm. But that was the first time. And since then, I just found that it's mm. banded around with very little care and with, without any real... Again, without any real engagement as to what the word actually means. So it's a right. very easy way of dismissing something that you didn't get yes. on with, that didn't that didn't resonate with you. So, mm. and you know, you know how we've said in the past how it's it's very easy to to dismiss a film than it is to praise it. You know, it's very yeah. easy to say, "Oh, that was shit," or "Oh, nothing happened," or "Oh, that pretentious." Yeah, yeah. To turn around and then say, "Yeah, but what do you mean by pretentious?" Yeah, or shit. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, yeah. that 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 is the question. I think. What what, yeah. what what do you mean by pretentious? It, again, is it the fact if it's the fact that you you tried to engage with it and you couldn't? Mm. It didn't. It didn't actually. It didn't actually. Yeah, work for you at all. Then fine, you can you mm. can say that. And maybe it's you know not getting on with a film when a lot of people do can feel like a slight. You know, we've yeah. we've come out of the, the the cinema before, and you know you've loved something and I've hated it, or vice vice versa. And it, it hurts yeah. a little bit because it's like, I just, sure. I wanted you to, I mean, it hurts on both, both sides. It's like, yeah, the person you want to have it, the same experience. Yeah. Sort of thing. And it can also feel like a bit of a slight if you don't like it. Um, yes. Not, not from the other person, but a very personal thing, I think, where you can feel like it's, it's like saying that you're an idiot for not liking it or that you just weren't smart enough to get it. And I, and I think yeah, that or, pretentious... or the opposite that you're easily entertained by yeah yeah exactly clearly you have lower standards than me yes exactly and i think that the the word pretentious is quite a good like shield against that kind of Mm. kind of thing when yeah you're maybe you have an you're you have this emotional reaction this negative emotional reaction Mm. to it and it's just a good way of putting up a, a wall there and saying end of conversation yeah this is this is pretentious we're done i think sometimes it is used to as an excuse not to make an effort like mm. if there is a film that doesn't have a conventional narrative um and people feel like they should try to subject their own narrative onto it and they don't really want to have to do so or grapple with it because grapple with it because they're afraid they're going to be bored mm. they can wheel out the word pretentious to dismiss it as not being for them yes because the the thing is about david lynch is that I don't love David Lynch films because they're obtuse and because I feel smart when I'm watching them. Mm. I love them because of my emotional experience of them. Yeah. And for me, the fact that it doesn't have a conventional narrative, it forces you to stop trying to endure it as a sort of whole narrative, a singular story, and enjoy it more in a moment-to-moment way. You don't know what the next scene is. You don't yeah. know what the previous one was. Yeah. All you've got is the scene that's happening to you right now, and you have to enjoy it 
Oh, like flipping for a, car- a book of carpet samples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> put your hands out and fucking feel it. Stop trying to figure it out. I did used to try and subject my own experience onto this. Yes. And I had this whole treatise on Maholland Drive, which, you know, pieced all the bits together. And I think Lynch even kind of played into this a bit because he, he published... Maholland Drive was released with a list of 10 clues that might <laughs> help you figure it out. Uh, 10 clues that I suspect actually obfuscate yes. the film even further. I think it was an intentional, you know, little prank on the audience who are going to try and dissect and figure this movie out. But I was missing the point, as pointed out by... Daniel Neofitu. Right, in, in his book, Good Day Today, which is yeah. a brilliant book about about David Lynch's films and really just urges you to just try and enjoy it as it happens and not try to figure out what's going on. And I think there's a lot of great filmmakers like Fellini and Tarkovsky who work in the same way. Yeah, I had a very similar thing with David Lynch. I it started off, I think the first thing I saw of his was June for God's sake, and every yeah. everything after that I I had real I took real issue with just trying to figure out what was going on and it was too um abstruse. And it was just, I couldn't get my teeth into it at all. And it was frustrating. Right. I don't think I ever called it pretentious because I'd, 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 been, I'd been hurt by that before. So I'm pretty, pretty good <laughs> you, with keeping that word back. But can you see how you might? Yes, definitely. If you because... felt that frustration and were annoyed at Lynch and you might think, oh, well, he's doing this on purpose to annoy me. You yeah. might level the word pretentious at him. Yeah. And, if, you know, he mm. very well might be doing it on purpose you'd hope so <laughs> but then actually like af- after reading yes <laughs> what a man after reading good day today it, and the whole argument of it is stop stop trying to make sense of it um yeah it then becomes rather than being yeah a, a film that you have to sort of con- conventionally try to process and enjoy it becomes very much like a sensory like overwhelm where it's 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 about at one point it's about like the oral thing then about the olfactory or sometimes just about what you're feeling whilst you're watching it maybe you're gripping the sofa at the time and for me a lot a lot of my positive lynchian experiences it's usually from some sort of like sensory or that's that's happened it's something yes has happened and it's either bamboozled my eyes or my ears or it's had a really weird reaction in me that i can't necessarily put into words and it's not to say that i've come away feeling positive about any like whole film of lynch's i'm i i i still struggle with with pretty much every lynch mm. it's it's something that you you really do just have to appreciate see it like take it as it comes let it have let yeah. it have this emotion you know let it have that reaction on you whatever it is and I, I yeah i'm a huge fan of lynch's work and um i think that is just what you need to embrace to really enjoy it is yeah. just try and abandon the idea of okay this is a story i'm going to figure out what happened to these characters yeah. um, and i feel like a lot of people were very frustrated by twin peaks the return for trying to <laughs> do that but um i like the fact that the answer to this question um oh i don't like this thing because it doesn't make sense our answer is it's not supposed to <laughs> yeah like, it's the most pre- it's the most pretentious <laughs> answer to that question i like it <laughs> let's let's move on to movies that are very much like the way i make love Slow and long. <laughs> oh, that doesn't necessarily sound good. No. <laughs> Reception has been mixed. Rotten Tomatoes score of 75, though, which is better than Mother. <laughs> Roger Ebert called it pretentious. <laughs> 2001 A Space Odyssey as uh, one of our favourite movies and generally considered to be one of the greatest movies ever made. 
Uh, it's a bit of a shame nothing happens in it, isn't it, Paul? Oh, yeah, I mean, of course, nothing, you know. If you can get over the fact that absolutely nothing happens, and I feel nothing. <laughs> it takes a long time not to happen. Yeah, <laughs> am I right, fellas? Alright, ladies. Yeah, I mean, this is this is quite a nice um, segue on from the pretentious uh, um, yeah. accusation. Well, just like if you're saying something is pretentious, you're yeah. saying something, you know, a, a film, you know, nothing really happens in it. I think the, the best thing to the best thing to ask is why. Why is why is the director choosing to show a character just walking for a really long time from one point to another? What are you getting yeah. out of it? What are you meant to be getting out of it? Because ch- chances are, especially if you're watching a film that's made by Stanley Kubrick, yes, that it's done for a reason. Yeah, and it's not glitter. I actually don't know anybody who's seen 2001: A Space Odyssey and disliked it. I, I I had no people who have seen 2001: A Space Odyssey and leveled the complaint that it's too slow for them. Okay, and and other films as well that have just you know not had a good enough pace and just wondering why nothing is happening. And I think maybe there's a difference in the types of experience people are willing to have or open to have. Mm. Um, because when I see a movie like 2001: A Space Odyssey, what I love about it is how the pacing really brings me into the film. Hmm. really brings me into the experience of it and forces me to remove myself even further from myself as an audience member hmm. who is trying to guess what's happening and trying to you know guess the next plot point or i don't know it's just by by fully immersing me in a character or in a situation or just a ship docking with another ship yeah. i feel like it's it, it's forcing me to further enter into its reality yeah it's it's almost like being distracted for long enough to, for Kubrick to come around and like uncouple whatever's keeping me attached to the world and, it, yeah. and, I, and I feel like I'm completely detached by the end of the movie it's, it's a pretty incredible sensation when you're finally brought through the renaissance room and um, yeah and, and, and reborn spoilers when, when you talk about cinema being immersive and you know you should always see your favourite films in the cinema I think any this is one of those films that anyone anyone regardless of how you feel about this film or whether you wanted to or not everyone should see this film in the cinema yeah it it is the ultimate immersive experience it's the 50th anniversary this year so oh wow should be plenty of opportunities to go out and see it yeah i've seen it a couple of times in the cinema now i i I went Mm. we went to see it for my 30th birthday a couple of years ago we did it was positive all around it was yeah it's everything that a movie should be i think well blade runner 2049 yeah. Did not do very well this year, uh, despite being a huge critical and popular success. Um, and a lot of people put that down to its runtime. Mm. Uh, there's lots of lingering shots of Ryan Gosling wandering around, you know, the streets looking sad, <laughs> pensive. Yes. Um, I mean, surely they're just doing that to look smart, right, Paul? I mean, <laughs> so that people can people can feel like they're watching the Seventh Seal without actually having to, which would be awful. Oh, Im- imagine that. It's for kids. There's. Ugh. Actually, it's a, it's a very good point, though, from Charlie Brooker, because things for kids are also shit. <laughs> you know, you can go on joking about Blade Runner and, and things like that, but the, the thing is that things do happen. Yeah, they do. It's a, it's a studded brooding masterpiece, I think, Blade Runner 2049, and we'll talk about this more in, in, our, in our top ten our, our top ten movies. Yeah, but when well. again, when the accusation is that nothing is happening in the film... Well, it's too long. There's too much of it. You have to ask why, and you have to ask, is it? But in in this case, you can yeah, you can actually turn turn around and, and say, well, I disagree. <laughs> I, I think of all the criticisms that we're addressing in this episode, too long 
is indicative of something else. It's it's not that the film is too long. No good film is yeah. too long. I'm sure I'm sure you'd appreciate. Yeah. I'm sure you'd agree that Napoleon isn't isn't too long. Fanny and Alexander wasn't too long. Yeah. You know, um, mm. Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen is too long. Yes. <laughs> I, d- I don't think this is a, an, an insult to people because some people do just say they don't want to go to the the cinema to think about things, or they they want something that's more sort of something that's more entertaining to them, something that like right resonates more with them. And you know, some some people read War and Peace, and some people don't want to. Some people some people yeah. would rather read Dan Brown. Dan Brown, sure. You know that's fine. That's art. No, no one, no one person has the same, the same taste. Yeah. Um, except for us, which is why it hurts so much when we we disagree on films. <laughs> but because we realise we're lying to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're pretentious now. And <laughs> yeah, and I I think it's that. It's a very now. It's a. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this was the moment. This was the straw. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> that broke the art critics back. <laughs> It's. It, I think it's a legitimate. It's a legitimate complaint, but it's not. It's. Sure. It needs to be understood better. And again, it comes with engaging. It comes with like c- com- confronting your opinion of it and trying to put good words to it. But yeah, I. Th- I, th- I think in in this case, too too long is just just needs a bit more engagement. It warrants a discussion. Yeah, that's true. I think it's a symptom of other problems. Yeah. Okay, Paul. I want to move on, but before we do that, I want to tell you about a film that you are just going to love. It's so good. Easily oh. better than any of the things you like. Just easily better. Best of the year. Best of the year. Forget everything you know uh, about know. cinema, life, and your loved ones, because this is going to shit all over all of it. When you see this film, you're going to eat your mum and explode inside your gran. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> but first, let's, let's talk about hype. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, the interesting thing there is, from you, mm. I'd be quite excited about that film. From from from, <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd be quite excited that you'd be reacting like that about something, and I and I and I'd kind yeah. of find myself going, okay, well, let's just let's at least see what he's got to show me. Yeah, I'd feel the same. Yeah. If I if I recommend a film, it tends to be that people immediately assume that it's going to be shit or another Wes Anderson <laughs> film. But we, we we have talked before about the difficulty of yes. recommending a film to someone. But have you ever been? How do you feel when you are on the receiving end of it and found yourself resistant to seeing something that's meant to be better than Jesus? Well, like, have you ever been recommended something great and just, uh, or someone said something to you that it's brilliant and you've just thought, oh, I don't want to see it then. I, I I must have done. I must have done, but my ego is just blocking it out at the moment. <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved The Shining, very much like now. I was almost the, exactly the same when I was a kid. Mm. Um, I thought it was the best horror film ever made, um, but it was regularly put second on scariest films of all times lists mm. uh, behind The Exorcist. Uh, and I think that comparison and that it was meant to be the scariest film of all time and that it was in some way going to put down something I already liked Mm. was what made me come to The Exorcist with such a sort of reluctance to actually enjoy it. And I watched it and I remember being scared enough, but I didn't... I then immediately afterwards went back saying, oh, overrated. Nothing could be The Shining. Nothing could be The Shining. Right. Um, And it was only when I was in my late teens I was able to come back with a bit of subjectivity and realise, hey, more than one scary film can exist. (laughs) And realised it was a fucking masterpiece of horror and cinema. Mm. So the hype there was about the idea that it's going to replace something that I already like. Yeah, I think 
you're you're you've got you're onto something there because I think a, a lot of it mm. is that it's saying that this like a, a successful recommendation renders your a lot of your likes and your own recommendations irrelevant because this is like a victory mm. for me. This is a this is a point scored whether it's for on a personal yeah. thing or for a particular film. I think it. I think it. Yeah, it can. It can feel a bit like one up, one upping. Mm. I do think, and maybe it is the ego, but I do think that I'm. I'm pretty open to recommendations. And if somebody, if somebody gives me something, if they put like a physical thing in my hand and say, "Read this," or "Watch this," or "Eat this," yeah, I will go. <laughs> I'll go. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Don't mix them up. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, not, and then not again. Yeah. Oh, Goodman, we we love we love the recommendation game with you. <laughs> Eat, listen, watch. <laughs> Paul Gunman. He never fucking knows. <laughs> roll up, roll up. Well, let's make it a little less personal. Let's say it's not a person recommending something to you. Instead, it's this abstract idea of hype. Mm. Now, I mentioned to you earlier that I noticed The Dark Knight being number one on IMDb. What I didn't say is after I saw that, I was scared. Mm. Like, I don't quite remember why, but I remember being really frightened by the idea that the dark knight is such a fucking good film that yeah. it broke imdb that really frightened me and i can't quite express to you why mm. but it did now has hype ever sort of seemed overwhelming or actually put you off a film <sighs> la la land oh shit film. on bookie <laughs> shit film a uh, shit film that was in both on both of our top ten lists of last year. Ninety-three percent on Metacritic, on Metacritic, ninety-two on Rotten Tomatoes, eight point one on IMDb, and nearly won an Oscar. Um, <laughs> very nearly, <laughs> very nearly. Christ, it was close. <laughs> Paul, have you actually met anyone yet who liked this movie, let alone loved it like we did? Can I include Katie, who we went to see it with? There's Katie as well. <laughs> um. I literally, I've run into so many different sets of people who have told me that they just didn't get it, that I didn't get why everybody loves it so much, and that's always, almost always the the way they f- they phrase it. Yeah, I think now you mention it, most of the people I've spoken to about this, it's all it's been one of those. Mm. It kind of feels like I've just told them that I love them because, <laughs> and because their response has been. Uh, or meh like like when you say that to anyone yeah yeah exactly <laughs> meh is actually the the main response that i've got yeah. for la la land yeah um i think that's it that's that's mainly been it it's just oh I, I got nothing out of it yeah and it just it confuses me because we got so much out of it it's such a on first viewing especially maybe on subsequent viewings it suffered a little but on first viewing it just blew us the fuck away with its whimsy and its catchy music and it's sweet characters and it's genuine sense of fun yeah the whole thing has it's these these two people who are so committed to their art written by a guy who's so committed to his art um (laughs) in 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 a film that is so committed to art that i was how could i not be invested i I was literally Mm. on the edge of my seat come come the end yeah I I, I I literally face in my hands wrapped watching this not literally literally yeah. wrapped but literally face in hands watching <laughs> watching this film it had such such a deep like resonance with me it made such a mm. deep lasting connection that 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 first time that it, it it is kind of baffling then to 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 see that like non that nonchalant meh yeah reaction I felt I actually had a positive 
feeling walking away like i felt good after watching it and maybe that's why this hurts so much is that i actually walked away with this feeling in my stomach this excitement as i went yeah. home yeah you know i never feel that way going home yeah <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> especially when we live together especially do you think hype played into it at all that maybe just people too many people said this is the best thing ever that led people to actually be worse disposed to it i think so I mean, I, I yeah. Nell, Nell did actually say she wanted to wait until all the hype had died down before watching it. Okay. So yes, I guess. It's, um, <laughs> again, it's it's. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure it's something that I've ever been through. But I remember going to watch Avatar with somebody, and the hype absolutely oh, yeah. killed it for them. And I had, I like, just didn't hadn't really listened to any of the hype at all, and I went away really enjoying it. Right. So I, I, I guess, I guess it can. And you know, I think it's yeah. demonstrably had an effect on people. Not just with La La, La La Land, but other other films or other movements or movies or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know if I don't know if it's because people don't want something spoiled, or or if it's because people are put off by mob mentality. It might be that. Yeah, and I mean, maybe maybe it's maybe it's it's just like the Jeremy Corbyn movement. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's exactly maybe. like that. Um, yeah, Tony Blair hates La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> Meh. Three stars. Yeah. Okay, Paul. That's enough about that old shit. Let's talk about a movie that actually did win an Oscar, but shouldn't have. Oh, what? That's the worst. Yeah, I know. The Oscars can do some real good for movies. Nominating a movie for one of the Big Five awards almost definitely guarantees that it'll get a second run in cinemas, ensuring some underseen classics get another chance to find a bigger audience. Mm. Uh, the Oscars this year is drawing attention to films like Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, The Florida Project, and Mudbound. But an Oscar can really fucking harm a film's legacy as well. Shakespeare in Love is a film with 7.2 on IMDb, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, and is almost unanimously remembered as the movie that didn't deserve to win an Oscar over Saving Private Ryan, The Thin Red Line, or Life is Beautiful. And The Treatment Show, which um, wasn't it's, nominated. It's hard to find a list of undeserved Oscars that it doesn't come top of. Hmm. Now, neither of us had actually seen the movie at the point of um, planning this episode, but I think it's safe to say we were both familiar with that aspect of its legacy. Yeah. Were you? Yeah, I guess. Although the Oscar winner I know that didn't deserve it was Dances with Wolves, but I haven't actually seen that either. Nor have I. <laughs> <laughs> There are some movies that just have that reputation. Yeah. I haven't seen Driving Miss Daisy either, and yet the only thing I know about it is that the race relations have aged somewhat poorly. Uh, okay. Um, but we had to pick one, and we picked Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. We watched it for the first time. So, Paul, what did you make of it? I enjoyed it. I, 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 did, I did enjoy it. I, you know, if I had to put myself in the, the place of the, you know, Oscar judges, I probably wouldn't have picked it as my best, you know, best film of the year film, yeah. but i yeah but i en- enjoyed it it had a bit of a difficult time with like the the, the 90s-ness of some of it the the, the comedy and the <laughs> the direction yeah. um john madden is the guy right who's done he, uh, he did yes. things like um best exotic marigold hotel which is a, a film that does feel yes. like it would have like the you know the humor would have been in, you know in place in a late 90s movie it's a movie for your mum yeah yeah that's the that's the one here's one for the mums everyone um <laughs> one for the mums bill nye's cock and there was yeah the, you know the, the color palette the quirkiness of it was it felt very much of its time but having said that i enjoyed sure. a lot of the performances i, I really enjoyed the mm. final 20 minutes or so um yes the, the actual perform- the, the performance well. of romeo and juliet where you suddenly got mm. um You've 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 got 
clearly some some classically trained actors in there or you know all really yeah. giving what be a romeo and juliet performance i wouldn't mind seeing actually with tom wilkinson yeah um in there <laughs> ben affleck the, yeah ben, ben affleck he was that was an interesting choice but um i really liked him in this I, yeah do you, do you know I, I was, it reminded me that he had a lot of energy when he was a younger man yeah and you may remain so long as you remain silent pay attention you will see how genius creates a legend it was it was a really interesting um dynamic between him and joseph fines i thought um yeah and yeah i i liked it colin firth was me too was was interesting <laughs> yeah i yeah I, I i liked it i i enjoyed it it was um very sweet for the most part yeah. i was i was surprised by how saucy it was mm. there's an awful lot of I, I think um it was kind of sold of this is steamy shakespeare <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like that was the idea, and I saw some reviews saying, "Oh, they did a pretty good job of making Joseph Fiennes into this sort of sexy Shakespeare." Um, <laughs> I enjoyed the steaminess for yeah. the most part. I enjoyed the um, relationship between Paltrow and him. I actually quite liked Paltrow, which is um, rare enough. I did enjoy it, and and I think had I come to it in a different circumstance, I would have just seen it as a perfectly fun, you know, bit of movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I th- it's like a little piece of cinema to enjoy, you know. Like, um, it's a it's a romantic comedy, you know. Yeah, and it's that's with that is what a is. really clever conceit of mixing up Romeo and Juliet with uh, the writing of it, which is you know, and how true life inspires art, which is a fun little concept. Yeah, there's two kinds of movies that tend to win Best Picture: either something that feels incredibly important for its time, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so politically that is, yeah. um, or from a social context. Or it's a nostalgia piece about Hollywood. Um, you see <laughs> yeah. that, you know, like The Artist or La La Land, in fact. Yeah. In fact, last year we had La La Land versus Moonlight, which was sort of the two archetypes of best picture winners going up against each other. Yeah. Something very... Uh, the word worthy is used a lot, but I find that very dismissive, like mm. the word Oscar bait. Yeah. I actually I heard a fellow critic at the film festival say, oh yeah, Don Kirk's very Oscar bait isn't it? <laughs> I haven't actually seen it, but it's clearly Oscar bait. It's like, what? Oh. You think anyone who makes a World War Two movie is just trying to get an Oscar? Yeah. That's oh, incredibly. Meanwhile, productive. I did vote for Brexit. <laughs> Don't actually know about it, but it's definitely yeah, Brexit, know, isn't it? Read anything? Yeah, people are sick of experts. But anyway, that's the two kind of films that usually win, and of course, Shakespeare and Love fits very neatly into the former. Camp. Yes, I think there's something being part of the Oscars, and 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 yeah, I mean, the hype for La La Land as well is completely yes. now ingrained in the fact that it was almost almost a winner of the best film yeah um, and that narrative i think is justified to some people who are like huh, yeah as if getting this close to winning an oscar is some sort of consolation prize for shit yeah films. or like done on the conceit of the uh of the makers or something like that and yeah, and, and again like humiliate it like terms like oscar baity and 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 things like that it's all part of this idea that there is conceit in filmmakers who just want to win an oscar and yeah i don't for prestige yeah and you know maybe you know you you want to make this film and then you think well maybe i will just release it around oscar period because that's when you know that's when these films are released or that's part of the season or maybe it's a a studio thing or i just it it just seems too simple too cut and dry to to say this is oscar bait this was made solely to get an oscar because i don't want to believe that people are that are that cynical and when something has as much heart as la la land you know or you know shakespeare and love if if, yeah like to to put it under that scrutiny seems kind of unfair 
And that's exactly what I wanted to say is that I, I don't feel like someone made Shakespeare in love in the hopes of winning an Oscar. No. It just doesn't feel that way. It feels like, hey, this is a fun story. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's tell it. It's a fun way of bringing Shakespeare to life. Yeah. And I don't know, just the final shot of Shakespeare in Love actually I found really great. On the beach. It was the beach, yes. It very much subverted my expectations of what was going to happen at the end of this movie. And I really respect the decision they made. That image has stayed with me and it's it's kind of, I don't know, it had an impact. It got in there a little bit. It's got his fingernails in the door and pried it open a little and spat into it. I don't know what this allegory is. (laughs) And yeah. it'll be the same this year. Something will win and feel something well, else didn't, didn't well, actually, deserve it, you know. I have a thing on that. Um, I read an article in The Independent about undeserving Best Picture winners because some people really do just like to professionally piss on other people's parades. Just fucking stick a knife in <laughs> Just fuck everything that's not absolutely perfect. Uh, yeah. And Birdman was mentioned, um, specifically in the context of being greatly inferior to Boyhood, uh, a film that neither of us liked, I... slash maybe even hated. Yeah, I really, really, really disliked it. Yeah, and there's always there's already a vitriolic and barely comprehensible article in The Telegraph, uh, thoughtfully and considerately entitled, Three Billboards is a Lazy Problematic Film Which Didn't Deserve an Oscar Nomination in Any Way. Huh. Hey, everyone, c- click on this. Yeah. I've half-baked a thought for you. <laughs> It basically boiled down to the fact that there's a racist character in Three Billboards who, by the end of the film, hasn't been lynched, and therefore yeah. is justifying racism. How because dare they? Can't have they can't have a, ra- a racist character redeem himself by the end. Ooh, how is that really the story we need in 2018? Yes, sick of experts. <laughs> There's always always going to take issue with what a lot of people say about. <laughs> about movies especially when it's so cut and dry and that's the point of this episode is to show that things aren't black yeah. and white that it's not it's not so simple on e- on either side every every yeah. criticism has has a background that should could be explored and every you yeah know, every explanation we have for for you know why a film mm. should be explored should also be explored and explained and <laughs> we need to remember that the oscars often don't reflect the movies that become the most re- the best remembered or loved mm. of any given year there are an extraordinary list of amazing directors who never won an oscar yeah. or had f- never had a film win best picture and you know it might be because of the academy's largely elder white male demographics yeah. who are either uh, you look at those two things that i mentioned earlier either it's a nostalgia puff piece about hollywood in which case it's probably playing into their sense of nostalgia that these largely elderly white men Mm. have or it's them voting for the film they think they ought to vote for yeah based on what they've been reading in the papers and that you know that's because that's how you get things like 12 years a slave winning in spite of the fact that a number of members confessed that they hadn't actually watched it in spite of the fact it's a fucking excellent film yeah so I think we should all take the results with just a pinch of salt until that makeup is a little fairer in 2050 or so. The Oscars is a lot of bluster. It's a lot of very enjoyable bluster. Don't get me wrong. Yes. And, and I'm really excited to see who wins. But over yeah. the, the, the loud minority of this shouldn't have won because of blah, this shouldn't have won because of race and race, Oscar Beatty, blah, blah, blah. It's There's, there's, there's yeah. going to be some real sensitive and, and wonderful discussions about some really beautiful films. Um, yeah. And because who the fuck would watch Shape of Water and say, Oscar bait? <laughs> like, it, I think those arguments, the idea of Oscar bait films is going to expire simply because they're putting some weird shit up there now. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really great. Yeah, ab- absolutely. 
Um, mm. So, I mean, what did we what did we conclude with the Oscar chat there? Just, just don't. <laughs> They're fun. Yeah. Don't take it too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Absolutely. Like a like a Michael Bay movie. Hey. Oh, hey, Paul. Speaking of uh, mindless action movies, have you seen the trailer for that movie Sicario? Oh, I oh, t- tell you what, looks sick. I was looking for for a blockbuster action thriller film, and I found it. Yeah, that's with what this is, right? It's an action thriller with like a female lead, kind of like Haywire. Cool. It's gonna be like Mila Jovovich, and a poster has over a big machine gun. Come on, yeah, that's gonna be great. Let's all get our balls out. <laughs> Let's go get our balls out and rub it up and down the cinema. Come on, let's go. Okay. Oh, nothing's happening. And she's oh. spending most of the movie crying. Oh, I've fallen asleep now. This is boring. It is boring. I, I did a poo out of my brain. <laughs> it landed in my popcorn and I ate it again. <laughs> so, Paul, what movie sold you a bunch of magic beans? <laughs> um, can I say nothing? <laughs> I, I, mean... I, don't remember, I don't remember feeling... Like, in, in recent experience, I'm trying to think of all the films that I went in expecting something, mm. got something different, and was disappointed. Well, that comes down to it, because I think when you watch a lot of movies, like we do, mm. getting something that you didn't expect is nice. Yeah. Like, you went into a ghost story expecting a horror film, right? Largely because of me. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> I purposely in, misled you. Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was expecting to feel uncomfortable and, and kind of, uh, for, for most of it. Um and yeah, when it turned out that it was a beautiful little indie indie pick about <laughs> um, about love and bereavement mm-hmm. um, with an incredible soundtrack and some wonderful performances, yeah, yeah, I definitely wasn't disappointed. And, but, <laughs> but but there were you didn't people... go ask for your money back. Yeah, but there were people around us <laughs> who, who were, weren't there? There were people who went out they... and it was a Saturday night and they're expecting a, yep. ho- a horror movie. And after it, it was it was we're after still in cinemas. Yeah, it was after one. You know, it was there's a particular scene where we linger on Rooney Mara for for about ten minutes doing doing something where where people yes finally decided that maybe this movie wasn't for them. And yes, and there was an exodus. There was a mass exodus, and <laughs> you know, which I can I can I can understand if it's not what you were planning, but. And if you've just bought an expensive cinema ticket for it, and maybe you don't go to the cinema very often, yeah. So you want to, I guess you want to know what you're getting, and maybe you just read the title. Yeah, which is fine. <laughs> I going in expecting, you know, it was Benicio del Toro, Josh Brolin, um, Emily Blunt, yeah, uh, and someone fresh off of um, Edge of Tomorrow. That's it. Yeah, the, um, which is awesome action chick. Yeah, and and finding that it completely subverted my expectations. It, it put. It yeah. put Emily Blunt in a lot of very extremely dangerous situations, um, yeah, and, and made and had her play it realistically, yeah, and not it, become Lara Croft, yeah, and it made yes, and it made me as the audience member feel that pressure, um, mm. and I felt I felt as weak as she did through a lot of it, and 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 at the same time, it was masterful, it was masterfully made. Yeah. This isn't just a run of the mill thriller political thriller yeah this is something it's mm. way way more than that there's and it digs even deeper at my ass it's just gonna <laughs> it was only positive yeah. so so it was really confusing then to get out of the cinema again feeling very very good <laughs> about it hearing people you know just just dusting off you know their, their jeans and getting up and going oh i fell asleep oh did anything happen no nah, not really it was it, yeah you, you then walk out of the cinema going sorry did we watch did we watch the same film <laughs> yeah they wanted a much more vulgar form of excitement i think they they weren't prepared for something quite so um subtly menacing yeah and and like there's only a few moments of really explosive action but because they are so few and they're so tight yeah 
and contained, they really are just explosive. Like the the whole bridge sequence and the yeah. border sequence. God, it's incredible. It's just dynamite. Yeah, some people just felt, oh, I was missold on what yeah. this experience was going to be. Um, I did look into a list of trailers that supposedly mis- uh, misled. All right. Well, some of them actually did, as you'll see. And they include movies like Drive... And actually, yeah. a woman tried to sue the distribution company because the trailer made it look like Fast and Furious. Oh, that's interesting. She did not win. No, no. Passengers, which uh, didn't mention how fucking creepy it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sweeney Todd, which neglected to mention that it was a musical. <laughs> so that was a surprise. Interesting. And of course, Kangaroo Jack, <laughs> which is not about a kangaroo named Jack. So there's some legitimacy there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, good. There, there, there are some, I think, where... Yes, the marketing okay. did let it down a bit yeah. because the studio just want as many people in the audience as possible. They don't care what experience they're going to have. They want to sell as many tickets as yeah. possible. And some will have the long term sight to say, well, if this doesn't get good of word of mouth, it won't make sort of good money in the long run. But if we can take this movie that we've shot and make it look like Born, yeah, then, you know, fuck it. We might get a whole bunch of people to come see it. Yeah. And I think good directors, the best directors like Christopher Nolan, they get involved in the marketing because they know that the first experience the audience is going to have of the movie is the marketing material. And so they work on the posters and they approve the posters and the trailers and it all just becomes part of the experience yeah. of the film. And I think that's important. I suppose not everybody gets to be an auteur to that extent where they get complete control. <laughs> And that, which is which is yeah. obviously a shame. And again, I think we come we come back to the this whole idea of just opening up and engaging a bit. Um, some yeah. sometimes it could be disappointing, a la Kangaroo Jack. Yeah. But <laughs> there are. I mean, I've had I've had enough experiences now to to know that not to yeah not not to worry if things aren't quite what they seem. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of it. But again, if you're if you're the sort of person, and I don't suppose that sort of person would listen to this podcast, <laughs> no, very much. so we're safe. We can say whatever the fuck but... we want. We hate you. <laughs> we hate you. But if you don't go to the cinema very often, and you you know you go one, a couple of times a month or a year, even you want to know what you're going to get for your ridiculously overpriced cinema ticket. But I guess just do your due diligence. But on the on the opposite side, I'd say if just one person goes to see this film thinking it was going to be this but it turned out to be that and loved it maybe it was worth it hey you know what that's a pretty good point all right let's come on to our last point paul there's one last great film i want to talk to you about and i don't want to get into it too much because we're both going to talk about this movie in our top 10 lists probably in the upper half of our top 10 lists um yeah. But suffice to say, it came out, it had excellent reviews, had a huge box office, and an equally huge backlash from a very small subset of fans. I am, of course, talking about Justice League. Hi-oh! Oh, oh zing. Take Doing that, jokes. Henry Cavill! <laughs> I hate you, Henry Cavill, and your moustache. Oh. Should have left it in, that's what I say. CG it into the scenes where he didn't have it. That would have been easier, surely. <laughs> oh, fan furore. <laughs> uh, the Last Jedi. Yes. Uh, we loved it. A lot of people loved it. Some didn't. And they were pretty mean about it. Why, Paul? Well, I mean, the easy, the easy answer is they're all wankers. Yeah. Some of them are legitimately wankers, because I thought, okay, mm. let's read one of these motherfuckers. I'll engage. I'll, I'll try and find out what it is that the problem is. And the comment went something like, Star Wars The Last Jedi is a social justice warrior conspiracy attack. 
in order to kill off all of the strong male characters of the original trilogy and replace them with women. And I just wanted to... I just stopped reading. Yeah, this this, this is it. Not not wankers because I don't like people sharing my opinion, but it's like with Brexit, yeah. you know, when that all came out and it happened and, <laughs> and some people were just like, look, I'm very angry with the government and I'm protesting and so on and so forth. And then some someone went, yeah, yeah, yeah. and no more blacks. Yeah, it doesn't do the other side any favours is the thing. No, exactly. It's it's People who have legitimate complaints about The Last Jedi do not appreciate being lumped in with the kind of people who will make a cut of this movie that doesn't feature any women in it. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I, I was seeing a, a very, very good, well-considered video essay about um, Star Wars fran- uh, franchise like respectfully killing its heroes. And yes, and how it being necessary for another episode to come on. We have, you know, we have heroes, and they mm. fail eventually because, yeah, that's what that's what heroes do. And we have a new mm. set of heroes, and there's nothing necessary. There's nothing wrong with that narratively. There's nothing wrong with that emotionally. Mm. Um, in fact, it's a really healthy, like, emotional lesson. I think that your heroes yeah. are, are flawed. flawed. Um, because and then yeah. and, and then for somebody to turn around and, and, and yeah and just say oh social justice warrior probably all on their periods eh and then it's it's like oh I see you're just a dick <laughs> oh I see what oh, I get it here. yeah because ultimately the last Jedi is a film about Rey yeah. who the Force Awakens you know is spent purely demonstrating how much of a hero worshipper yeah. she is of Luke Skywalker just like anyone who loves the original trilogy she gets to meet her yeah. hero. She got to meet Han Solo, and now she's meeting Luke Skywalker, and she's finding out that these people she idolized are not perfect, yeah. and they've made a lot of mistakes. And I think that's something very relatable for all of us. I, th- I think I think we could legitimately go through criticisms point by point and give very good arguments as to why make make very good arguments as to why this um, you know they're mm. unfounded or you know why we disagree. Um I think with the hero- the heroes sure. thing if you if you continue this film mm. these these films about heroes then the main thing for me would be yeah. you'd miss out on this amazing ensemble cast that there currently is. And the message sure. I think the message you know the the message mm. that you get from a film a lot of it depends on when it was made and the the, the political and social issues that are happening yeah. at the time and a lot of what is made is maybe what people need to hear or it could do some good to hear and i think mm. the the the, sure. I, the idea of you know not idolizing people giving you know giving people too much yeah. power or allowing one person to have this power and instead relying on people mm. working together and it's it's mm. such a positive thing and i can, I can understand if yeah. that was you know if <laughs> one of the complaints being this is a box ticking exercise We've we've got a black guy and we've yeah. got a an Asian girl and and brilliant and we've got a female lead and I can understand if 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 it was a box ticking exercise and the film ended up being terrible for it if if the people were not right mm. for the roles the fact of the matter is it's none of those things it's an amazing film and it has and and it, and, it, and it has these really wonderful believable characters with these relation these these really real relationships and I think that judge mm. judging judging this movie based on expectations that were made from a trilogy that were released that was released over four like 40 years ago 30 years ago yeah now. yeah it's what is just woefully misguided mm. you, I, I, the, the the message is gonna be different and even if the message but, wasn't different it's a new story and and, yeah. and why why is why is having a, a, a female a female lead a female protagonist yeah a 
bad thing. I don't know, uh, but it's especially baffling since really it's just picking up on the same story that was in the original and mm. just sort of following it because Luke was always at his best when he was disregarding the Jedi. Yeah. And he's constantly told throughout the thing to forsake his friends, to not listen to his feelings, and that Darth Vader is beyond redemption. Mm. And yet he goes against those things and succeeds. Yeah. He does save his friends. He does redeem Darth Vader before his death. He he does all these things that the Jedi thought were impossible. It's only natural to assume that he would um, come to dislike them, come yeah. to think that their teachings were wrong and that they were arrogant and that they failed, especially after his own failure. Yeah. And people who say they disrespect the original trilogy mis- misunderstand the sort of whole thing that's going on with Kylo Ren, who constantly says, you've got to kill the past, yeah. burn it. And weirdly, Luke has done the same. He has killed the past, and he's yeah. fled, and he's taken himself out of the world. And the whole point of both of their character, both of the arcs of these characters is, you don't destroy the past, which is what people are saying it's doing to the original trilogy. Yeah. You embrace it and learn from its mistakes. Yes. I think that's an important point, and one yeah. that we could all really do with at the moment, and yeah, and and and, and I think I mean I think that's what makes Kylo Ren one of the most fascinating villains in yes, in, in, in cinema. I I I would say more so than Darth Vader. Darth Vader was a henchman, you know. Sure, he, he, was, a he hench- was evil all the way through, and then yeah. had a redemptive moment at the end. Yeah, and 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 this is a guy who was a little inexplicable. Yeah, he's and and Kylo Ren is struggling. He's so desperate to be dark, but he's tempted by the light at all times. And yeah, it's it's such a fascinating. Um, mm. like dichotomy going on with him there. <laughs> how how can you not be? How can you not be mystified by it and just want to know more yeah. and just and just be there? And you know what? Mm. If we're talking about disrespecting the orig- the original Tridge, I think something fucking did that already. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we've we've spent this episode trying to f- find like reasonable explanations for various criticisms of things, but the 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 real. Um, like ag- aggressive denunciations of the Last Jedi for me are things that I just yeah. don't understand. I, f- I find myself no. mu- much like, much like, you know. And again, this is this is the, this is the like aggressive, unpleasant stuff. Not like the the, the genuine yeah. the genuine reasons, the genuine concerns sure. and things like that. But it but it makes it makes me feel bad, and it also makes me not want to engage with it because it's it's yeah very unpleasant i think well no one likes to feel like their thoughts or feelings are being belittled by others but yeah. film is it's a conversation and the legacy of all the best films are never really set in stone yeah um and some people love the controversy yeah the arguments that are being had around the last jedi including ryan johnson who says that he thinks it's great that people are discussing the movie uh, but yeah, not everyone's discussing it. Some people are just shouting about it. Yeah. Is the thing, um, and apparently Disney are backing Johnson, which is great. fabulous. I just that's what scares me most about all this is that Disney's going to be scared into encouraging J.J. Abrams to make a much more conventional third yeah. part. Well, one one that's thing that's the is, big fear here. Yeah, I mean one one thing is, I'm sure there will have been just as just as much. In feelings of heart being hard done by and just as much anger about other films you know yeah. return of the jedi maybe who knows but the problem is you yeah. know we have we have the internet and i don't think it's i don't think the mm. internet is something that has made people worse or stupider or or sure. more horrible it's just given the people with those better feelings, access to yeah them. like a way of amplifying <laughs> that so yeah so it's just 
I think that's one thing about it. That's one of the reasons why we're getting so much of that. But also, yeah. I mean, look at the box office. Look at the the critical consensus. And and, yeah. and and look at the people who do love it and who are going back to see it again. Look how many porgs they've sold. And just <laughs> this this is one of the one, mm. so many great films are are criticised when when they yeah. come out. And I and I think this is one of those films that's definitely ahead of its time. And I and I think that mm. I, I think I think that we you know we and it will be vindicated. I think all, all the the positivity is there and i think you can you can mm. see it, in, it is in, in more than half of the the like video essays and articles and oh god and yeah, again the, the money articles that the guardian often. have has run the guardian has run so many of these articles saying oh it's the smartest star wars film ever made yeah. it's the star wars film we needed right now yeah here's what we learn about poe dameron mm. and that's the thing is poe dameron's storyline directly satirizes the macho male yeah you know, it, it invites the Gamergate guys to really yeah. come and be offended by it by saying, "Hey, that brash, headstrong guy who lives, who flies by his own rules, might not be such a good thing." Yeah, <laughs> that guy who lives by the sword just tripped over it. Yeah, there was... and killed several innocent people, <laughs> several minorities. <laughs> yeah, and it, Ryan, Ryan Ryan Johnson has sort of it, it does feel like with this film he's taken his place as like the most positive troll there ever was. <laughs> Yeah, it, it like it. It does feel like he's invited that, and it's a really healthy thing to be doing because yeah, it sparked all of this, yeah. sparked all of this debate, and again, just another mm. another part of this film that's really important right now. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing about great films is that they do by putting them up on a pedestal, uh, either by saying they're the best or giving them an Oscar or giving them all of the money. Yeah. <laughs> you um, you invite people to come and challenge it yeah and some would say well that's just a healthy part of the process because only the strongest films will withstand that scrutiny yeah and will remain standing as kind of a conservative view of um of films you know there must be no feather bedding when it comes to films <laughs> i think the important thing is just try not to be swayed by negativity or positivity or hype or anything mm -hmm. else just try and make up your own minds about films. And whatever conclusion you come to is the right one. Mm. That, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of criticisms and criticisms that annoy us and things that don't feel quite authentic. But whatever it is you feel about the film is the right way. But just try and go into it without all of these external influences and an agenda to your watching of it. Because I think if this podcast has proven anything, it's that you actually never know when you're going to see something great. So, yeah, I think just that's the advice that we're coming out of this with, is just try try and go in without any assumptions. Yeah, and then we can have a lo lovely old chat about it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> we can carefully explain why you're wrong. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you for listening to One Good Thing. Yeah, thanks very much. You can contact us if you have anything to say, anything to say about our episodes, any questions, any stories, anything at all. Any of your own one good things about anything. How did you first learn that Christopher Nolan is a pretentious? Yeah. Tell us at, Tell OG us. at OGT Pod on Twitter. <laughs> Facebook is uh, forward slash OGT Pod. Um, you can also send us an email at OGTPod at gmail.com. Um, also, have you ever thought, I think OGT's all right. I don't completely hate it. Honestly, the best bit's the jingles, and I'd like to show my support specifically for those somehow. Well, now you can. The entire collection of jingles from episodes 1 to 50 is now available on Bandcamp from just £2.50. 
From the jingles you hear every episode to the special 10th episode outros, there are more than 20 tracks. You can pay more if you want, or even buy them separately if, say, you really like the Freeman jingle but think everything else is hot garbage. <laughs> and anything we make will go straight back into OGT, keeping the lights on at OGT Towers and so forth. Plus, Paul has a destructive cocaine habit, and our success really does depend on him being high at all times. So, Was that Paul? Sorry, I left the room briefly. <laughs> Nothing, mate. So, if you want to show your support, you can go to ogtpod.bandcamp.com. That's ogtpod.bandcamp.com. Thanks very much. I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. And remember, the one good thing about great movies is that you might actually like them.